Welcome to Jonathan on Money, the personal finance podcast that brings you the latest insights and strategies to help you achieve your financial goals. I'm your host, Jonathan I. Shankman. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from investing, financial planning, retirement, and behavioral finance. I'll share advice and practical tips to help you make the most of your money. So whether you're just starting out or looking to take your finances to the next level, Jonathan on Money is here to help. Let's dive into this week's show. Welcome to this week's episode of Shankman on Money. This is episode number 21, and we'll drop just before Rosh Hashanah. On that theme, some of the content today will be on the theme of the new year and reflection. After all, taking the time to introspect is foundational to improving yourself, your relationships, and especially your financial situation. That constant quest for improvement and refinement is essential to one's growth. This is what my talking points this week will focus on. And as always, I hope to be able to offer some practical guidance to listeners on this topic. Remember, we are a practical educational podcast about the intersection of Judaism and personal finance. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, please let me know. As always, I'll spend the last half of the episode answering listener questions. We have some great ones as always. And I'll also share a classic quote that is also right on the theme for this time of year. With that, let's jump into this week's talking points. Well, it's that time of year again, the Yamim Noraim, a time for davening, teshuva, family, and reflection. While all those high holiday season themes are important, I find that it is the act of reflection, as I mentioned earlier, that is foundational to setting the stage for the upcoming year. It's easy to just go through the motions during this time of year. However, taking the time to introspect on what happened over the past year is crucial to spiritual and material growth. Shankman on Money listeners should look to their rabbi or other spiritual uh, um, advisors for guidance on, on that aspect, but I'll do my best to provide some perspective on the financial side of things. As a starting point, let's revisit some of the top headlines financial headlines from this time last year. This includes the highest inflation in four decades, double-digit losses in both stocks and bonds, the Federal Reserve aggressively raising interest rates, continued COVID-19, remember that, lockdowns in China, the world's second biggest economy causing supply chain issues around the world, gas prices shooting through the roof. Things have changed a lot over the past year. The current view of the aforementioned headlines are as follows. Inflation is around 3.2% in line with historical averages. The S&P 500 is up approximately 16% this year, while U.S. bonds are up modestly. The Federal Reserve is still raising rates, but is signaling they may pause at some point in the not-too-distant future. Much of the world has moved on from COVID-19 pandemic, and the price of gas is down approximately 4.5% from a year ago. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that there are always still plenty of concerns today. The U.S. credit rating was downgraded. There are challenges in the regional banking sector. And as always, there's the political turmoil with the bickering in Washington. A year from now, I imagine many of today's headlines and concerns will disappear, but new challenges will emerge. That's the nature of market cycles and life in general. Below what I'm about to mention are some investment lessons I've contemplated as I reflect on the past year in anticipation of Rosh Hashanah. Lesson number one, the unpredictability of the markets. As we can see from the financial headlines in 2022 versus 2023, things have improved on many fronts. The markets in 2022 were bloodbath, 
with most asset classes plummeting in value. Even bonds, which are traditionally a more conservative area of the market, dropped double digits. This area has been dramatically different with attractive performance across the board. The takeaway here is that nobody knows what will happen from year to year. The key is not having all your eggs in one basket. This concept is called diversification in the field of investing. Avoid concentrating into one investment like real estate, large U.S. stocks, bonds, etc., and spread your money across a variety of asset classes to mitigate your risk and be able to ride out any storm. Lesson number two, don't try to time the market. Given the constant fluctuation in stock prices, it's tempting for investors to try to time when to go in and out of the market or go to chase the latest hot investment. This strategy doesn't work. Putnam Investments put out a wonderful study last year illustrating the flaws of trying to time the market. They showed that in the 15 years from December 31st, 2006 to December 31st, 2021, if you stayed fully invested in the broad market during that time frame, you would have experienced a 10.66% annualized return. If you missed the 10 best days, your return would drop to 5.05%. That's more than a 5% drop in annual return for missing just the 10 best days, which is mind-blowing. If you miss the 20 best days, it would drop to 1.59% annualized. If you miss the 30 best days, it would drop to negative 1.18%. And finally, if you miss the 40 best days over the 15 years, your return would drop to negative 3.58%. The takeaway here is going in and out of the market puts you at risk for missing the best days, which can hurt your returns very, very badly. If investors feared the markets in 2022 and decided to leave at the wrong time, they could have missed the entire run-up in the markets this year. Lesson three is to stay optimistic. Positive thinking is one of the traits that has allowed the Jewish people to endure for 5,000 years. It is also a trait that every Jewish consistently embodies as they hope for and look forward to the coming of the Mashiach. After a terrible 2022, things have rebounded meaningfully in 2023 as of this podcast recording. This happens regularly in the markets. In fact, historically, for every one year in the market, U.S. market that is down, there have been three positive years. The takeaway on this one is to stay positive and position your portfolio optimistically. The market will rebound. It always does. Lesson number four is to ignore the noise. There's a lot of news out there. Most of it is not relevant to your life or to your portfolio. Sure, it's scary to hear about the implosion of a small regional bank, an impasse on the debt ceiling in Washington, or a well-known market prognosticator saying this, that civilization is over as we know it. The truth is negativity sells. It's why anytime you turn on cable news, they're talking about something terrible. And that is regardless of what cable news station you favor. Few people would listen to the news if things were always going well. The reality is, things are never really as bad as the talking heads make them out to be. Furthermore, making reactionary decisions to the news is always the wrong approach. The takeaway is investors should listen to the news for entertainment purposes, not for making financial decisions. Instead, focus on things that actually impact the way that you should design your portfolio. This includes your time horizon your risk tolerance, level of assets, and specific goals. Most other information is not relevant. Lesson number five, commit to making the right decisions. Making good financial decisions isn't always easy. 
Setting up a framework to help make good decisions can be immensely beneficial. Some key principles for making sound money decisions include spending within your means, maintaining a healthy savings rate, investing prudently, and not acting emotionally. The takeaway is making a good financial choice requires discipline, which many people lack. That's why automating as much of the process as possible can help. Automate how much you save every year by having the cash go directly into your investment accounts. Predetermine your investment strategy with an investment policy statement. These two automations alone can create a solid financial framework. Lesson number six, stay the course. One of the biggest determinants of financial success is the ability to stick with a strategy through many different environments. Investing is different than many other aspects of life where success comes through continual hard work. Professional athletes need to train daily to ensure they are operating at the highest level possible. Lawyers need to draft documents and constantly research the issues to provide appropriate solutions to their clients' needs. For investing, on the other hand, the less you do on a regular basis, generally the better the outcomes. Much of the work is done upfront. The key to success is sitting back and letting the power of compounding work its magic. This is more difficult than it sounds. Most people don't have the intestinal fortitude to sit back and do nothing. The takeaway here is doing less than investing is usually the right approach. If this is challenging for you, hire someone to prevent you from pachkaing with your finances. For those less familiar with Yiddish, the term pachka means to inexpertly tinker around with something. And it's very important to avoid pachkaing with your portfolio. Regardless of what challenges or opportunities you face this year, it's important to understand that it won't last forever. Life and the markets are cyclical. If 5783, which is the current Jewish New Year, was a terrible year, it won't be that way forever. If 5783 was a glorious year, it won't be that way forever either. The constant change in life is inevitable. It gives us hope for the future when things don't go our way and keeps us humble when they do. Appreciating the ups and downs and having a place, a plan in place to help us manage the reality is the key to success, both in investing and in life. Okay, those are my talking points this week. As a reminder, you can be notified of all my recent articles, webinars, and all the other work I put out by subscribing to my free monthly newsletter at shankmanwealth.com forward slash newsletter. Now for this week's quote, which is from Pierre Avot. For those who are not familiar, Pirkei Avot, which translates as Chapters of the Fathers, is a compilation of the ethical teachings and maxims from rabbinic Jewish tradition. In the fourth chapter, the following paragraph is written. Ben Zoma said, Who is wise? He who learns from every man. Who is mighty? He who subdues his evil inclination. Who is rich? He who rejoices in his lot. Who is he that is honored? He who honors his fellow human beings. There's a lot of wisdom in this paragraph. For our purposes, the line I'll focus on briefly is, who is rich, he who rejoices in his lot. As I always say, money will not make you happy. What will make you happy is being satisfied with what you have, whether it's family, friends, a fulfilling career, being in reasonable health, being safe, etc. Again, on the theme of the holiday season, it's worth reflecting on what you do have and recognizing how much you have to be grateful for. That recognition is what makes us truly rich. Believe it or not, even as a financial advisor, I admit that happiness does not come from the size of your bank account.
Okay, now let's jump into this week's financial questions. If you do have a question, feel free to submit it to me at jonathanshankmanwealth.com, and it may be answered in a future episode. Okay, let's jump into the first question. I'm sure that I'm not the only one who believes this, but it is not fair that the rich keep getting richer. How do we break this cycle to make room for the people who are on the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder so they can move to the top? Fair? What does life, why does life need to be fair? Here is a spoiler alert. It doesn't and it's not. Is it fair that some guys are six foot two and have a long, beautiful locks of hair, but I'm five foot six and I'm follically challenged? Is it fair that I'm so handsome and modest and have a refined, discerning palate when it comes to delicious pastries, while others aren't blessed with the same characteristics? So one answer to your question is life ain't fair. It's never, it never has been fair. And you need to get used to that reality. Second, everyone has their own talents. The skill of making money isn't universal. Some people have it and others don't. It doesn't mean you can't develop wealth over time, but some people have the ability to have a higher income than others. Third, some people have bad luck sometimes. With a positive attitude and hard work, luck has a way of showing up again. Fourth, the US is a meritocracy. If you have a good idea, work hard remain resilient, and eventually get a shtickle lucky, you can end up at the top of the socioeconomic ladder. Fifth, being wealthy is not everyone's goal. In fact, I would argue that most people are far more interested in spending time with loved ones and friends than having enough money to put themselves on the Forbes billionaire list. Sixth, there's the phrase shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. When it comes to the cycle of wealth, Meaning, one generation is shirt sleeves, dirt poor, but they work hard, make money, their kids enjoy a rich lifestyle. By the time their grandkids come around, there isn't as much money or no money left, and they end up in shirt sleeves. The Vanderbilts are a good example of a family that came from nothing, became fabulously wealthy, and then lost it all through a series of bad decisions by the patriarch's descendants. Seventh, life is not a race where some people win all the time and some people lose all the time. And the winners should just let the losers win once in a while. That's the way you seem to describe this perceived injustice. The key is to run your own race. At the end of the day, it is only against yourself. So in summation, life isn't fair. Everyone has their unique set of abilities. The rich don't always end up getting richer. Everyone can become wealthy. But most people value other things beyond just money and run your own race without focusing on what others are doing. Okay, next question. Why do some people ask, why do so many people ask you about hot real estate deals when the answer is always the same? The reason is because emotions and psychology are one of the primary drivers of investment decisions. This has been true since the beginning of time and is never going to change. Throughout time, humans have always been attracted to hot deals or something exciting. They want to be with the in crowd and they don't want to be an outsider. They want to participate in this thing, whatever it may be, like everyone else, and they want to keep up with the Goldsteins. Real estate can be exciting and fits the parameters of a fun investment. You can see it, touch it, smell it, lick it, and you can show it to your friends the, and the property and discuss it at the Kiddush Club until the next hot thing comes around. It checks all the boxes. While the real estate questions are plentiful and always similar, my answer regarding exciting investments and real estate and in particular will always be the same. Stay away from exciting investments. Real, real estate can be a fine investment if you look at the numbers and understand the opportunity, 
understand all the costs associated with the deal and risk. And finally, don't confuse illiquidity with downside protection. If the real estate market sucks, the value of the property likely went down. You just may not realize it until you are trying to sell the property and get offers much lower than you anticipated. Next question, I have five kids and want to save for college for them. In an effort to stay consolidated, since I can always change the beneficiary on a 529 account since I'm the owner, would you advise having just one 529 and changing the beneficiary over time in order to keep my funds consolidated? No, I would not advise that. You're looking to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Set up five separate accounts for each child. I should say one for each kid. It's really not a big deal. Yes, it's important to say relatively consolidated, but only where appropriate. What you're trying to do serves no benefit. In fact, it may make things more complicated if kids overlap in school and funds are running low. Be practical and set up an account for each child. And the next question, which is also a 529 account question, what happens if I super fund my, five, my kids 529 and they don't need all the money for higher education? First, for those not in the know, super funding a 529 account means front-loading five years worth of tax-free gifts into a 529 account. So a married couple to this year not making any other gifts to the beneficiaries during a five-year period can contribute up to $170,000 to a 529 plan for each child and with the proper election, not run into gift tax problems. Okay, now to your question, you can seamlessly change a beneficiary to another family member and families use relatively loosely, so you do have some flexibility there. Another option is if the kid is brilliant, and I'm sure your child is, they can get it, and they may get a scholarship, and they and you could take out the funds out penalty free, but you will have to pay tax on that money. Another option is take the money out and pay the 10% penalty and taxes. It's annoying, but you still got years of tax deferred growth, and you only have to pay a relatively modest penalty. And finally, under the Secure Act 2.0, if the 529 was open for at least 15 years, you may be able to roll over up to $35,000 into a Roth IRA for the beneficiary and get them started on retirement savings early. This is not the rule yet, but it should be happening in the near term. What should I set as a beneficiary for my, my retirement accounts and TOD accounts? That's up to you. It should be whoever you want to get your money when you die. Remember, it can also be a trust and maybe should be, which may be helpful from administering these assets, especially if there are minors in the picture. So typically people leave funds to a spouse or their kids. Alternatively, you could leave them to me. You know they'll be managed prudently in a diversified fashion. I'm just joking, but not really. And none of those options, if none of those options are attractive to you, you can even consider leaving them just to charity. Finally, you can leave the funds to family, friends, and also to charity. I've had clients do that in order to support a charity they love and set an example for their children about the importance of giving tzedakah. What a good lesson, especially during this time of year. And that's a good way to end the, the question segment. And if you have any financial questions this week, feel free to email me with any questions that you have, and I might answer them in a future episode. And before I forget, I wanted to wish all Shankman Money listeners, Ashana Tova, Umatuka, La'altar, L'chaim, Tovim, L'shalom, may the coming year be filled with mazel, bracha, good health, lots of wealth, happiness, and only good things for you and your family. And with that, it's a wrap for this week's show. Any comments or questions, feel free to reach out directly to me via email. I love hearing from my listeners. 
And finally, the secret to financial success is no secret at all. It's to spend less than you make, invest the difference prudently, and ignore all the noise. See you next time on Shankman on Money. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. I hope you were able to take away a nugget or two to apply to your own life. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted whenever new episodes drop. If you'd like to submit a question that may be answered in a future show, please email me at jonathan at parkbridgewealth.com. Be sure to check out all Jonathan on Money content, including all my articles, webinars, and videos by following me at Jonathan on Money on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Finally, if you like what you heard today, please rate the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps ensure that other personal finance enthusiasts can find the show as well. Thank you and catch you on the next episode of Jonathan on Money.